guys. Let's get seated. Shout out, Tim and Kathy McLean are here with us, guys. They're long-term friends. They were members of our church till they moved to the other side of town. Frowny face. But then, no, but they're missionaries. And Tim, did y'all want to say anything? No, he's not, he's not even listening to me. Y'all can talk to them afterwards. Just wave, Kathy. Kathy's the nice one. All right. Yeah, there. Talk to her afterwards if you're interested. They have, a, they have an orphanage in uh, Kenya. My brother and I went a couple years ago. It's really awesome. Some other things they're doing. So well, let's get right into this. We've been going through the book of Exodus this spring, and we're going to finish up. The Seder, Super Seder Sunday is going to push us back one week. We had it all nice and lined up so that it would end the week before Easter, and now it's going to end the week after Easter, so whatever. But the... Uh, um, but this week is a little crazy because we've been going through, if you notice, like we started this, we were like Exodus 1, and then the next week we're like Exodus 2, and the next week we're like Exodus 3, you know. And then some of them we were kind of like, okay, we'll do the plagues all together. And this one is Exodus chapter, chapters 19 to 31, which is a little bit insane. And if you were like, do you think you can effectively cover that in one message? The answer is no. But I will say this, some of the contents found herein, like the Ten Commandments. We spoke exclusively on that last year. And then also the tabernacle, which we're going to talk about. Steve and Marianne did a whole thing, if you were here, you will remember, where they set up a, they had like a tabernacle here. And we went through that. So we've covered a lot of this recently. And so what I want you to do is, I've told you the book of Exodus is a story. And it's a story that tells us a lot about God, and it tells us a lot about ourselves. And I've invited you this whole time to relate to it as a story. Because when you take something like Exodus and the book of Numbers, you'll find that they fit together, but there's not the same stuff in each one. And they don't say different things, they just cover different bits. You know what I mean? There's other details. Like there's things we know about like Moses and some of the wandering in the wilderness. It's in the book of Numbers. It's not in the book of Exodus. And it's not because... It, what, it, what it is, is the, when they wrote down the book of Exodus, it's meant to tell a story as a whole and give us a picture of God and ourselves as a whole, as a unit. And then you can corroborate with other things. And so what we're going to do today is go through this huge chunk of scripture where the Israelites get back to, or, or Moses gets back, the Israelites get to the Mount Sinai, and God starts to tell them the business, all right? And so, just a little recap, because the main point that I want you to have in your mind, the main, main point in this from today, is that life with God is not business as usual. And business as usual, colloquially being defined as whatever you do, it'll be fine. Life with God is not like that. It's different. And there's a lot of words and chapters as to how different and why. And that's what we're going to... So I want you to have that as your guide for everything I'm about to say. But a little recap to get us back up to where we are. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and they were oppressed. And they cried out, and they cried out to God, and God heard them. And God saved them miraculously through calling Moses to go down. And they went down, and he says, you know, let get the people go. And then there's the plagues, and there's an exodus through the Passover, which Jamie shared about a couple weeks ago. And this miraculous and terrible things that were happening that God ultimately delivers them, takes them out, and then they get backed up against the sea, and then the army comes up to destroy them from the Pharaoh. He's like, you know, I'm not going to let them go. 
And that's an impossible situation. So you go from a bad situation through a miracle to an impossible situation, which Andy spoke about. And then God shows up and does an, an impossible thing. So the solutions, like we just talked about praying in the medicine, like they were at the end. You know, we have the, the sea we can die in and drown, or we can fight and die against the army that we can't fight. And God's like, no, I'll just make a path through the sea. And you're like, well, that wasn't on my options list. You know, that's, this is the not, as you, not business as usual with God. And then they get into the, and then they celebrate. Oh my gosh, God delivered us. He led us through the sea. And then when the army chased after us, it, the water came back over and, and God wiped out the whole army in one movement. And they celebrated. Remember, Andy was dancing. I have seen victoriously. You know, y'all remember that. And so, and then they get into the desert. And then they immediately start complaining, which is what Kevin was talking about last week. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, you brought us out here and there's no water at least in Egypt, we had water, and then God's like, fine, here's water. You know? And then they're like, well, now we don't have anything to eat. And not that we downplay, like, I don't want you to get it, you know. When I said the story, you need to see yourself in this. So as God moves in your life, gives you a miraculous, there's this moment of celebration. You're like, yes. And then the next week, you're complaining again. I'm not saying you have to do that. I mean, I really hope you don't. I'm just saying it's not unusual if you do. And I don't want us to sit back and go, I probably wouldn't have complained like they did if I was there. Because it's unlikely. They're there representing all of us. And life, so they, anyway, so God answers. God is, God is merciful over and over again. He gives them the, the manna. He gives them the quail. He gives them the water. He even delivers them through a battle where Moses holding up the staff and everything. And it's like, Okay, all of that. Now we've gotten up to the mountain, which if you remember in Exodus 3, God told Moses, because this is where Moses encountered God. Like, remember we said the burning bush thing and everything? And he says in verse 12, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, which was crazy to even say at that time, you will worship God on this mountain. And this you... Um, is plural. And since English doesn't have this, but Southern English does, so I have another slide. This is what this really says. This is, this is how this should be read. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, y'all will worship God on this mountain. And this is exact. That does not sound weird. Where are you from? That's how we talk. Okay. All right, let's have some more proper English. Come on. So I'm going to have Dalton read. So since we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to be making some like very broad statements about all these, verse, these chapters, but we do need to read a chunk of them. And so what we're going to do to establish the groundwork, Dalton's going to read Exodus 19 in the beginning of Exodus 20. Um, and it's a little bit. So listen, he doesn't say y'all as often as I do, though. So it'll sound nicer. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. 
Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your mother and your father, so that you may live long in the land your Lord, your God, is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. So Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Amen. So that's some pretty intense stuff. And so what you're seeing here is remember this point that I'd made, that life with God is not business as usual. And there's something, you know, in the story we, we, we went through up to this point, God is acting mercifully. God is acting, you know, kindly. You know, he's saving those that are, you know, his initial, he's like, I hear the oppression and I'm coming to save you. And he saves the people through an act of his mercy and, his, and just his desire to, to right wrong things and his love for his people and this sort of thing. And that's the exact same thing that we see uh, God offering us. Like we don't, by doing these sorts of things, earn God's approval. You see what I'm saying? But God, he, he takes them and he walks with them. And like John and I were talking about the journey, you know, he reaches down and they're, they're not able to save themselves. And he reaches down and he saves them. And then he leads them out through impossible things. He does impossible things in their midst. And even when they complain some, they're kind of, well, we're following you, but why is there no water? He's like, all right, I'll give you water. He's working with them. And then all of a sudden something happens at Sinai where it's, is different. And God all of a sudden starts speaking very straight and very clearly, and it's a pretty serious business. And it's important, though, that we remember this, because depending on your temperament, you can immediately flip into this idea that, like, okay, I got it. That's the checklist of things I need to do so that God will approve of me, and then I'll be good. And that is absolutely the wrong way to look at this totally. And Tim Keller says it this way, um, he says, religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. Christianity says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. There's a big difference in those two. I'm going to read it again. I obey, therefore I am accepted. This is the bad one, the incorrect one. The one where we think we can earn. Or we, that's like you being as a slave in Egypt thinking, like, if I just do all this stuff right, it'll all work out and I'll be able to, you know, it doesn't work. It's not going to ever work. You can't, you're impossibly stuck in that situation. But 
God the Deliverer reaches out and saves you in his mercy and brings you out. And you're not at the promised land yet. You're still in the wilderness, but you're with him. And he's saying, hey, I want to be with you. In order for that to work, here's some things you're going to have to do. Or here's things you're going to have to do. It's a response. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. It's very different. And you see in these Ten Commandments, which we read through, and it keeps going. Like those start to describe a, a way, like you see some of them were about relating to God. I am the only God, you know, I'm the, I am the God that you're going to worship and don't have any other idols. And I take that really seriously and don't bear my name in vain. And we'll get into that in a second. And then, but then it also has other commandments about living with each other. He's like, don't steal things from other people. Don't murder people. You know, like this is what it's like to be a faithful person with God, you know. And, it, and the next chapters go on for a while, and I invite you to read them. You know, like, I hope that this isn't the only time you encounter the Bible in your weekly life. If you don't, download one or go get one. They're all over the place. And read it. We're, this is chapters 19 through 31. Kevin will be sending out stuff in the emails this week going through some of these chapters. And you'll see immediately after what we just read, he goes into idols and altars and how seriously he takes this stuff. I don't want any other idols going on. I don't want you worshiping anybody else because these false gods. And that's going to matter next week, you'll see. And he has rules about Hebrew servants, personal injuries, property, social responsibility, laws of justice and mercy, all sorts of things like that. And then he gets to where God says, is this okay with you? Something like that. And Moses is like, yes, we agree. And you see in Exodus 24 um, where they confirm the covenant with God and there's blood covenant that's, that happens where they say, yes, we agree to the terms that you've set forth, God, <laughs> and we accept them. And I'm just going to read this. This is Exodus 24, 9. Moses and Aaron, Bab and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Listen to this. Under his feet was something like pavement made of lapis lazuli and as bright as blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israel. He didn't kill them for seeing him. They saw God and they ate and drank. That's a crazy situation going on. But God is confirming this covenant with these people. That he's saying, I, you're going to be the, my people in the world. And he is establishing that right now. And then he follows immediately after that. They go, do we agree? We agree. Yes. And then he says, okay, here's this, how we're going to set this up. My presence, God's presence. This is like God, you know, not an imaginary friend. The God who made the universe, he's like, I'm going to send my presence with you guys, and we're going to set up this tabernacle that my presence can rest in. And there's chapters of details about it. Stephen Marianne went with, through a lot of that. Life. He's like, I want a table this way. I want an altar this way. I want an ark that my presence will rest on. And there's curtains around things, and they're all specifically spelled out. And God's like, don't mess around with this stuff, guys, because you'll die. And it's not because he's mean. It's just because that's what happens. It's kind of like if... If we just opened up that electric box back there and you're like, I'm just going to stick my fingers in here. And you'd be like, well, you'll die if you do that. And you're like, well, that's mean. It's like, it's not mean. That just kills you if you do that kind of thing. Like, you see, it's more, it's like you need to see it like that. It's not like God's like, he's, he's, he's giving you a warning. Like, I would say, don't stick your hands in there, or especially grabbing the red and the black one at the same time. You know what I mean? And if you were like, well, I feel like doing it anyway. You're like, well, you can. And like later in Numbers, you see Aaron's sons do that. And they do die. God is not playing around. He's warning everybody. His presence is real, and it's serious. And he gives this instructions for, for his dwelling place to be amongst them. 
And you see a lot about holiness and how the priest is representing the people of Israel. And they're giving like these stones are going to be here and they're going to all represent things. And so you're not doing things just for yourself. You know, you, you are going as a representative of other people, this priest, you know, and this kind of thing. And God's saying, I want this to be done. And some other things about fast, feast days and stuff like that. And the main point we need to take away from this is that for us, just like for them, Life with God is not business as usual. You can't, you can't just have a little bit of God so that you're good. Like, how much of this do I have to be into to be good? It doesn't work like that. God will give you time to, to kind of figure it out. Like, the journey that we see with, like, when you're oppressed in slavery, it's like, I'll take whatever. You know, I'll do it. You know, like, come on, God. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. Let's do it. And then he walks you, and then... And you start to see how immediately there's this tug of war that Pharaoh inside of you comes back and goes like, ah, maybe not, you know? And then he's like, all right, I'll show you again. I'm God. And you're like, okay, okay, yes, yes. And then you're like, ah, maybe not. And there's this thing that's happening, not a yin-yang thing. It's just that, that flesh, that, that evil desires that we have with it, the lust of the eyes of the flesh and all that stuff. We talked about it. And then God's like, all right, now we're together. We're out in the wilderness together. And I want to be with you. And here's what it's going to be like. And it's not as usual. There's no, how much of this can I do? It's all. Because he's God. He can't just come in as like your little friend that you, you know, you're like, what do they call it? Like a pocket squirrel or something like that? Where you're like, here's my squirrel that I keep in my pocket whenever I want to see it. To be cute, God doesn't operate like that. God is total. And I don't know why I said that. That wasn't in my nose. <laughs> If you want to have some smart things about this, I recommend this book. Uh, this book is great. I added it to our website. It's called Bearing God's Name, and it's by Carmen Joy Imes, and it's a new book, relatively new. And what she's talking about is the importance of this covenant that they're making, and specifically bearing, uh, getting it down to the idea of bearing God's name. Because in this story... God's talking to the Israelites. And if you read in that chapter, and when Dalton was reading, if you heard, he's like, he goes, of all the nations, he's like, the whole world is mine, but of all the nations, you're going to be my people. What kind of an honor is that? And that's an amazing honor, you know. And God's saying, you people, you descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the ones that are going to have a special relationship with me. And he said, but here's what I want you to do, and I want you to live up to your end of the bargain. And they say, okay. But God ultimately knew that they couldn't do that. And they do fail. And the, the rest of, they do eventually enter the promised land, but then things happen. And remember, we talked through David. I mean, it's like not all great all the time. And they aren't faithful to their end of the bargain, which doesn't mean God is unfaithful to his end of the bargain. It just means some of the blessings aren't there. But anyway, they get to a stuck place. And you see in Jeremiah... He's crying out like, well, what are we going to do? And then you see this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. 
and they were longing for. We saw Jesus coming to make this new covenant as an ultimate name bearer. See, because God was giving the Israelites, you, when it said, even that translation we said we read, it said, don't misuse the name. And a lot of times we always hear that taught, like, don't say GD or something like that, which is not a good thing to do. But that's not specifically, I was reading, in this book she talks about, it actually means a lot more than that. It's saying, like, when you hear, like, do you take this man to be your husband, or do you take this one? Like, that's the take. Do you not take the Lord's name in vain? This is what this is talking about. It's like saying, do you call yourself a Christ follower? Do you take the name of Jesus and put it on yourself? He's like, well, and God's like, I would love, I love that. That's what I want. But do you do that in vain? Like, do you do that and then just go out and whatever, try to do business as usual at the same time? This is what we're talking about here. Because Jesus ultimately comes to fulfill this new covenant, fulfill the law that God is giving. He doesn't erase any of it. He says, I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to be the faithful Israelite and fulfill it. But he's also God. So he, in in his only way that God could come up with, Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, comes and fulfills his covenant and makes a new covenant as God and man, faithfully doing it. And it's proven to all of us by the fact that even when the world kills him, he comes back. This is why we're here at all, guys. And, it, and the interesting thing about this new covenant, and we saw this when we looked through the book of Acts, is it's, an, it's made with Israel. But then it spills over to everybody else. And Peter and everybody is initially a little shocked by that. Like, they kind of go, really? And then they go meet with everybody. You can read it. It's in Acts 10 and stuff. And, um, and, follow, and, they, and Peter has a vision. They have a vision. They come together. And then he's like, the Holy Spirit's been poured out here. Like, I can't deny this. God is now saving even the nations and inviting them to be the people of God. And there's a quote. I don't think I got it in here. I didn't copy it in here. Where he says, God will accept from all the nations, those who fear him and do his will through this new covenant that Jesus has established, which is the salvation for all of us. And you're like, gosh, we, you already said we had a lot to cover, and now you've gotten way off into the New Testament somewhere. This is why you need to see the importance of this whole thing. Coming back to this, this idea that life with God is not business as usual, and then asking yourself, Are you bearing the name of God in vain? Jesus, when he came, his name, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. This is what his name means. And it was a declaration. There was lots of things throughout the Gospel of John where declarations that were made exclusively about Yahweh are being made about Jesus. And they're not there all by accident. They're there because they're saying, this guy is God. As crazy as that sounds, that's what's going on here. And we need you, the reader, to know that, you know. And so <laughs> Jesus comes and he changes things. Like I said, things change at Sinai. Things change at the cross of Jesus. And, and the world is different after that. And he's offering us all to be included in the family of God. But do we bear his name in vain? The exodus, the, the freedom He's giving his out of mercy. You don't earn it. 
is crying out, like, I, I'm desperate, God. And he's like, yes, I'm saving you. And he's like, now, let's live together. And you go, ah, I don't, I don't want that. That's how it works. That's the whole thing. Steve Hill, who's an evangelist at Brownsville, used to say a lot, and I don't know if this is original to him, but I'm quoting him because this is where I got it from, is, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Just think about that. About like bearing his name in vain. Some of the stuff that the priest wore had the name of, you know, of God on it, like saying that I belong to Yahweh. It's symbolic of the fact that like we are belonging to him. And there's even stuff in Revelation that recalls all that sort of stuff. Like this is not like left in the Old Testament. It goes on into forever. Bearing the name of God, but not bearing it in vain. And if you're like, that sounds kind of serious, I think it really is. And very clearly, I want you to understand, it doesn't earn us salvation. This is a free gift. The, the light of Jesus is free to all who, who, will, who will go to it, but things change. And I would be lying if I told you it was any different than that. When Isaiah, the prophet, encounters God, he says the same thing because this seriousness overtakes him. He's, Israel's in a bad spot, and, he's in the, and he sees the presence of God. Again, the presence of God that we just read about that came down on the mountain that freaked everybody out. They're like, whoa, you go talk to him because if we talk to him, we're going to die. And he's like, no, you won't, but, you know, I'll do it. And so, like, but... The seriousness of when you encounter God, it's serious, you know, and it is, there are times, like, when you see people, like the lady that reaches out to touch Jesus, like, he's healing, my gosh, don't lose that in this whole thing. Yes, absolutely, he's healing, he's loving, he's caring, he's giving, but he's also God. And so, like, when Isaiah sees the, the hymn of God's robe fill the temple, he's a little freaked out, and he says, right here, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. And he's like, I'm going to die, I think, because I just saw God. And when the woman reaches out and touches Jesus, Robin is healed. And Jesus runs around and says, hey, who touched me? And they're like, we're in a crowd of people. Like, everybody touched you. He's like, no, somebody touched me, though. Like, they know what they did. And she comes forward kind of embarrassed because in, through the laws and stuff, she was unclean. She shouldn't have. You know, by her, like what she did, you know, maybe I'll just sneak in here, you know, if I could just, you know, so desperate for anything. But then the guy who she touches notices, which that would freak me out. And then he calls her out in front of everybody, like, somebody touched me. And I felt the power go out of me. And they're like, oh, man. So then she has to come up and go, okay, yes. And he's like, well, you're healed, though. See how something's different there, you know? That's the same robe, in a sense, that Isaiah sees filling the temple. And he's like, I am undone. Why? Because of who I am. And, and then the angel comes and touches his lips with a coal, and he goes, all right, you're, you're good now. A lot of meaning in all of that. The only thing we need to walk away with today is these two things. Life with God is not business as usual. And you don't want business as usual. Business as usual isn't working very well. Like, that's just staring at our phones all the time isn't working very well. And I'm not saying phones are evil. They're just mostly evil. But the, uh, the, uh, 
No, but it's so it's just it's like you you get lost in it. You go like, so is that working well for you? Is that working well? Are you like is is business as usual leaving you incredibly like in, like anxiety ridden? Are you worried about everything? Are you oppressed? Is that the business as usual you want? It's not for me. I don't want that. Because business as usual for me doesn't go well. I mean, maybe you're like way more talented than me at life, and that's fine, good for you. But eventually you're going to hit some point where it doesn't work anymore. I've hit it already, you know. And I'm telling you, you don't want business as usual. And then when you finally find the freedom that Jesus offers through his blood and his life and his love that he gives to you just for free, you're like, oh my gosh, what a relief. What an amazing, what an amazing transformation of a dead life into something. And then God's like, all right, life is not normal now. We're going to do something else. And he's offering us to live a life that's worth him dying for. And most of us don't do it. And I want us to be people who do it. And it's necessary that we experience this this way. You're like, all of this is fine, but I want the nice God. I don't want to deal with any of that. It doesn't really, you don't get to make the rules. This is God here. And Charles Spurgeon said it this way. God will never do anything with us till he has first of all undone us. I messed that up when I read it. God will never do anything with us till he has first of all undone us. This is what he's saying about, about Isaiah. You have to have an encounter with God or else everything I'm saying makes no sense. You can't imagine your way to it. When we went to Asbury a couple weeks ago, put up my photo just for context. So we, this happened to me, and I shared a little bit about this when we were because Asaf and Kevin and I went as representatives of our church, and I told them on the way up, we had a long way to drive up and a long way to drive back, and I was like, you know, this is probably something personal, you know, like the God will do something in our own lives or, you know, whatever. God's free to do what he wants. But I said, but we need to be going and engaging as representatives of our church and see what we need to take back from this, right? And so you walk into this room, and in one sense... Nothing was happening that was spectacular in any way that could be measured by the natural things. There was a, there was a stage that had people on it singing. Do we do that here? Yes. And at the time, like, they were doing like 24 hours, and they'd run out of people, so they're like, hey, you play something, right? You do too. Like, let's... It wasn't all great. You follow what I mean? Like, from a musical standpoint. There was a kid playing the wrong chord over and over again on this one song that I was like, bro... Like, somebody needs to give him the notes. But he was confident in that wrong chord. It just didn't matter, all right? So, But from the natural, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty poor music, music, you know? Then you had an altar area down in the here, and people were praying. Do we do that? They were praying for people. And then they had a room full of people, this room, singing. Do we do that? And then every once in a while they would break in and read, read some scriptures or they would share testimonies of things that people had, you know, I was praying for my friend and da-da-da-da-da. And then they had altar calls like calling people forward to give their lives to Jesus and stuff like that. And it was absolutely life-changing because 
of the presence of God. Because none of those pieces add up to anything worth getting excited about. Which is fine. I mean, I was like all for it. Like, I don't care about all that stuff. Even the wrong chord part, you know, eventually found it interesting. <laughs> like, you're persistent, buddy. But the... Uh, But you have to encounter God in your life. And I, and I do think, uh, John Tyson said this um, somewhat in response to this thing. He's like, we need the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, not just his indwelling and omnipresence. Do you understand that? The manifest presence of God. This is the presence of God that we see in this book of Exodus where God showed up like a cloud and God showed up like fire and God showed up burning the top of the mountain. I mean, they saw that in our space-time universe. It's not like, you know, oh, if I close my eyes and imagine, I could, you know, but like, no, like that's the presence of God right there and everybody gets a little freaked out by it, you know. Kayla, could you guys come on up here, please? <laughs> Sorry, that was an inside joke. The, uh, um, but what, I w- what, what happened to me when we went into this room, we were at Asbury, and I was overcome by, the, by nothing. But I was completely overwhelmed by the presence of God in this room. Why was I overwhelmed by it? Several factors I can think of that come to mind. One is, um, I'd shared this a couple weeks ago, that the, the, the age of so many of the people the young people in this day and age, they don't get, like, they don't get a lot of credit for much anything. You know, you hear people talk, and they're like, well, you know, the world these days, these kids. And what they're saying by that is not just they're lost and they need Jesus. They're like, they're lost, and this world is over. Like, this, this whole thing is terrible. Look how terrible everything is. And I'm like, is it more terrible than Egypt was? Is it more terrible than being backed up against the sea with an army coming, like you're a certain death, is it more terrible than that? The answer is no. But we talk about it like that, and it's in the news, and it's in the whatever. Everybody's like, you know, these kids, they don't, uh, whatever. And I was getting so sick of it, because I'm sitting there, and I'm looking down, and I'm seeing how instantly it struck me while I was sitting there. I was like, you know, eight days ago, some of these kids were hopeless, Eight days ago, some of these kids were hating each other. Eight days ago, some of these kids were contemplating committing suicide. And they know that. Like, I'm not, that's not just a made-up thing. Like, they had people share that stuff. Eight days ago, some of these kids were addicted to God knows what. I mean, I mean, what are you going to do when, when you grow up in a world where everybody tells you, it's, it's over. I mean, like, you guys have ruined everything for some reason. You're like, we haven't even had a chance yet, you know, and then, and it's over, and it's horrible, and it's terrible, and there's no hope in any of these words, and then you have to figure it out, and you don't know who you are, and you don't know, you don't know anything about the world, and maybe your parents aren't, I mean, whatever, you know, you're not given a full deck of cards to play with, and you end up like the Israelites, oppressed, enslaved, and they were calling out, and God said, all right, 
I'm going to do it. And there was a sudden revelation that happened. It doesn't always happen that way. And, you know, we see in Exodus the journey. You know what I mean? So we need to give ourselves some grace, you know. But there were kids that I thought eight days ago, that kid down there wasn't praying for people like this. Eight days ago, these people were in a different place. Hopeless, darkness, all these sorts of things. And then a light turned on, and they're like, oh, this is great. Not lost in the sense of hope. Like, I mean, yeah, on our own, yeah, we're lost. We're all lost, though. Not particularly uniquely more lost. We're all lost. And then God can flip a light on, and it's like, I get it now. Like, misinformed is what I said. And so... What we need to seek after, and what I came back thinking, and what I've been thinking about for weeks since, and then it was like this weird, <laughs> we planned things out, which is, again, not my strength, but somehow we came back from this thing, and I've been contemplating it and contemplating. We made some recordings. Khalil and I, like, we're recording with our iPhones, and, I've, you know, I can share those with you if you want, you know, because I was just like, this is really powerful, and I've just been listening to these recordings and just remembering what I was thinking. And then somehow in our scheduling, I haven't preached basically since this in a way. Like it's been like Jamie was here and then Andy was here and then Kevin. And so I've been having a long time for this to kind of sit inside of me. And it has not gone down. I don't go, well, that was a fun, you know, moment. Now we'll go back to business as usual. That's not, that's not the idea here. It is like I've, I've seen it. I've seen it now. Hope where there was none grace where there was none, life where there was none. And when I walked into there, I suddenly realized I thought I was all right. You know, I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian person. You know, I have, you know, I stand up in front of people on a weekly basis and talk about God. And I think people should listen to that. Like, it's kind of a crazy thing when you think about it. But all of this, I was like, I'm, you know, and I walk into this and it was almost like you walked into a white carpeted room and you suddenly were just, are my shoes clean you know and they they weren't and I felt like I was like this is for you this is for everyone but you can't come like that and I had to go down to the altar and spend some time praying I actually typed out a prayer I'm not going to read it to you right now but I'm not I can share it with you if you need to know I typed out a prayer because I said I need to get this right and I sent it to my wife I was like is this right she said yes and that's what I went down, and I dealt with God with some stuff, and he dealt with me. And it freed. There was things I had to deal with. There was people I was mad at. There were things like that. Impossible things. I can't move. You know, things just stuck. But then they were unstuck because that's the kind of thing God does. And But what we have to do, because we say, like, I can't make God show up. God does not respond to witchcraft. You can't conjure God. Like, if we put the spell together right, God will show up. You know, when I talk like that, you're like, what is this, Harry Potter? No, what I'm talking about is, like, we think we don't use those words. We're not actually boiling a cauldron of stuff. But we think if I do this right in the service and then that kind of thing, and then God must respond this way. God must not. He does what he does, you know. He might. I hope he will. And it doesn't leave us in a place either where we're just perpetually hungry. I've been in revivalistic environments before. Like Kevin mentioned last week, I was highly impacted by Brownsville. I went a lot, and I liked it, and I've talked about that. And there can be a culture that starts to be like, you know, 
where you're just perpetually hungry and you're never filled. God wants us to be hungry for his manifest presence and then he wants to fill us with it, to reveal himself to us. And so I think our posture as a church, for me as an individual, for anybody that wants to go, is to seek that. Because God is pouring out his spirit all over. And he wants to do it here. And I want him to do it here. And it will mess up our lives if you're looking for business as usual. But we've established already, business as usual ain't working that great. We need God to do God kind of things in our lives and then be the kind of people that live there. But you got to handle things differently. So I want you to stand with me. That same guy, John Tyson, that I just shared, that we need, he said, we need the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, not just his indwelling and omnipresence. He actually wrote a prayer um, that I want us to pray together. And he's just kind of in one sentence, or I don't even know if this is grammatically correct, but it's, uh, he's condensing a whole lot of biblical imagery into one prayer. And I want to put it up there. Before we pray it, I want you to read it. I'm going to give you a minute to reflect on these things. Because God takes our prayers seriously. And if you want the kind of thing I'm talking about, I want to invite you to pray this with me. I want this. And I need to be very clear with you as the pastor of this church. I want this. I want the Holy Spirit to be moving in our midst. And whatever happens, happens. But I want us to be prayerful. So I want to take a minute while Kayla just plays quietly. I want you to read this in your mind and contemplate what this would mean for you. and What we're surrendering, you know, because our lives are given over to Jesus. And when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into us, we get so used to that language that we forget the, the, the holiness of this. That God goes through chapters of a tabernacle for his presence to dwell, his Holy Spirit to dwell. And then they build it into a temple later, like in stone. And it sits there for a long time. And it gets torn down. They build it again. And it gets torn down again. You know, and Jesus comes, and at the moment he dies, the veil, the curtain, which was built by God's command, separating that whole is torn, symbolizing the Holy Spirit's availability to dwell now in all of us as a tabernacle of God. Now you could go, well, aren't we great? <laughs> that would be the wrong way to, we should take this as a serious thing that God's saying, I want to put that same spirit in you, like for real. But it doesn't come with business as usual. And it doesn't come with you calling all the shots. It comes with surrender to Jesus. So I'm going to pray surrender like I want us to just make sure we're all on the same I'm gonna pray a prayer of surrender to Jesus then we're gonna wait as you contemplate this and then I'll say let's pray this together and then Kayla you sing okay so father Jesus we come to you as Messiah as Savior Yeshua we stand before you and we ask that you would save us each and every one of us we give you our lives we ask that you would forgive us of our sins where we've wronged you where we've wronged each other we plead the blood of Jesus over us in our church, and we ask that you would give us 
righteousness that we can, we don't deserve, that we can't have, but we receive the life that you give as we give you our lives. us to pray this and then afterwards if you need to come forward for prayer we'll have the prayer teams up here and that will be um, a time that you can spend with the Lord at the altar or you know so pray this with me come Holy Spirit come wind come river come fire come power come helper come counselor come intercessor come divine love come fill us afresh in Jesus name amen so come forward if you need prayer. Oh, come and tear down the 